Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you are into hunting, fishing, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, before we get into today's episode too far, uh, I want to just uh, wish everyone a uh, belated, I guess, uh, happy Easter. I hope that <clears throat> wherever you're listening from and tuning in that uh, you guys are getting some of this uh, beautiful spring weather. Um, and yeah, hopefully it feels like things are are going to start to change permanently going forward here. Um Today on the podcast, I am joined once again by Jason Crichton, and I had Jason on uh, probably a year and a half ago, I would say. Uh, Jason uh, is the host of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast, uh, as well as uh, the owner of, excuse me, Conserve the Wild, Um, and really, Jason and I, uh, we talked about it our first time around, but the the similarities that uh, Jason and I have from our upbringing, um, the way we view the outdoors, a lot of our thoughts and, and kind of beliefs and, and approaches to things are, are very similar. Um, so today we we just kind of chop it up a little bit. We, we talk about getting our kids outdoors, the path towards hopefully, um, you know, raising our kids in this, in an outdoor lifestyle, The some of the things that we do um, to try to uh, get them involved even at a young age. Uh, we talk about some memories from our childhood and, and from our past and, and things that really stick out to us and trying to mimic those. And <clears throat> Jason puts it best. He said that, you know, as a as a parent himself, he's trying to draw on a lot of the things that he did as a kid with his dad and with his grandpa. And he's trying to, you know, do those with his son. Uh, we talk about kind of different topics that that we like to 
dive into uh, as as hosts of of uh, podcasts and how we go about, I guess, trying to tackle some some more difficult issues, how we prepare for things, um, how we're hopefully able to uh, really get the guests to to open up to kind of feel at ease and really just. I would say that's kind of the the segment of the podcast where we just uh, we kind of share tricks of the trade, if you will, um, having both having our own podcast. Um, and then we dive into, you know, conservation uh, fairly heavily towards the back half of the uh, of the episode. And we talk about his his partnership uh, with Keystone Elk Country Alliance uh, there in Pennsylvania and some work that he has done with them. Uh, over the past year or so, and some exciting stuff that he has coming later this summer. Yes, uh, he's, I don't want to give too much away, but he's, he's planning something pretty big uh, at the yearly uh, event that the, uh, I think he calls it the Kika, the, the Keystone Elk Country Alliance, uh, that he has planned with them and uh, some of their members and, and guests and, and things that are going to be participating um, in their in their yearly event, which is, uh, is super cool. Um, I highly encourage you guys to, to give that part a listen, especially if you're in Pennsylvania. Uh, it sounds like a, a great event. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to, to be in the area, I definitely recommend you stopping by. So yeah, just, um, it, it felt like after a couple rough weeks, uh, in terms of, you know, one episode I had to do by myself. Um, another one I had some some poor audio on my end, which again I I sincerely apologize to uh, to the listeners and to Rob, my guest last week. But uh, today felt like kind of got back into the groove a little bit, and it was uh, it was just a good conversation. I always enjoy um, catching up with Jason. So, episode one forty six with Jason Crichton. Uh, today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Go Hunt. I know I've said it numerous times in the past, but uh, now is the perfect time to sign up for your insider member membership with Go Hunt and uh, really prepare yourself for uh, next hunting season and sign up and <clears throat> draw odds, units, uh, you know, all sorts of different information. And if you're looking for the <clears throat> for a mapping system, the Go Hunt Maps is also a great. Uh, tool to use uh, whether you're e-scouting whether you're actually in the backcountry whatever the case is um, go hunt <clears throat> excuse me go hunt maps are, are pretty pretty unmatched when it comes to the capabilities and everything that they have so be sure and check them out at gohunt.com all right i'd like to welcome back to the podcast from conservative wild jason Crichton. jason how are you sir i'm doing great thanks for having me back on yeah absolutely um <clears throat> It's been, gosh, I'm trying to think what, it's probably been close to a year, I would say, if not more, since we had you on the first time. Uh, and when we got you on the first time, you were just coming off of winning uh, 2% for conservation, um, one of their, I don't even know, I should know the name of this, uh, um, one of their media awards uh, yeah. for your podcast, Conserve the Wild. Um, so yeah, Jared had put us in touch or, or recommended me reaching out. And yeah, I feel like we've, we don't talk all the time, but I feel like we've become pretty fast friends from uh, from the time that we uh, first spoke. And obviously, we've we've tried to connect on a few hunting trips, getting me out to Pennsylvania there. And it just hasn't worked out with uh, my schedule and whatnot. But I'm still still planning to get out there. So don't don't take that offer back, please. Hey, no, that offer's on the table until you get here, and then um, 
will probably continue to stay on the table. That was actually something I was going to bring up once we uh, got done recording is, hey, do you want to come this year? <laughs> yeah, I think so. We, we talked about it a little bit before we were recording here and we were catching up is that I started a new job uh, in October of last year, uh, which is, yeah, for all you listening, like, yeah, terrible timing. Like, I get it, but you don't always have a say in, in those types of things. So, yeah, my hunting season last year was truncated big time right like start like i think i started it like october 25th like could you think of a worse time no. like going right into the rut and yeah i was telling you i uh i hunted three times last year i hunted once early october for like you know one evening sit another one mid-october for the same thing like an evening sit and then i got out with my bow oh gosh second week in november maybe it was like the two or three days leading up to when rifle season is here in michigan and uh yeah, it was just not the kind of day I expected. It was just probably wrong spot kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, just super low activity. And and yeah, that was that was it, man. It was tough pill to swallow come end of the yeah, year. That that would be a rough a rough year, you know. Like I remember those I remember those kind of years where I would only go out maybe a couple times, but that was back when I was in college and, and playing baseball, you know, or um, you know, even coaching for a couple years after college. Uh, you know, high school baseball, coaching high school baseball. Um, you know, I had the, some years like that, but since, you know, it's been almost probably somewhere around 10 years or so now that I've, I've gotten really back into hunting. And I, man, if I had a year like that, I, I, I would probably go a little bit insane. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. And especially, you know, all, you know, Prior to this new job, I had a ton of flexibility with, I could kind of come and go as I please. If it was a Wednesday afternoon, the weather looked right. It'd be like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to head to the property and, and hunt. And, and that was that. And then now obviously I can't do that. And then even the weekends were super jammed up this year, more than normal. So yeah, even those weekend timeframes were just, were just shot to shit and, you know, such is life, right? Like there's, there's always next year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as that would not be the optimal situation, right? Like uh, hearing someone else go through it, like it makes me uh, specifically pretty, uh, feel pretty fortunate, you know, with, with my job being there, uh, you know, 13 years now, uh, 14 years as a teacher, you know, it's a pretty easy set schedule and, um, you know, and then having the family around that I have now that I have a son, like, you know, my mom takes takes my son on Saturday, you know, so that my wife can go to work. And so I can, I can go hunt, you know, and, um, you know, uh, another couple years, maybe I'll be taking him with me. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I feel very fortunate in the situation I'm in. I've been able to, to keep up with some of that stuff, but like you said, you know, so life happens, you know, there's been a couple weekends where I'm like, well, a couple weekends this year, first day of rifle season for Pennsylvania, for the first, no, sorry, second time ever, I did not go out on the first day. Um, and, and not because I didn't have a, a be, not because I already shot my buck. Um, you know, in Pennsylvania, you only get one buck. Uh, so if you shoot your buck in archery season, you, you can't hunt opening day. Although now it's a, uh, concurrent season. You can shoot a buck or doe, but, um, so there's been some years I haven't actually hunted, but I go to camp. Uh, the first year I had my appendix taken out on the Friday night after Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, not going to hunt that, 
<laughs> that following Monday. Um, now yeah. it's an opener on Saturday and um, my whole house was sick. Like my son was sick. My wife was sick. I was sick. And it was like, I was thinking I was going to just, you know, um, sort of tough it out in the woods uh, for a day and, and, you know, try to get myself a buck. Cause there was, I saw some great movement during the rut. Um, but once my wife got sick, it was like, I can't, I can't leave her at home sick with a sick kid, you know? So, um, that was, that was a hard decision to make, but life happens. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta do what's best for the family, not necessarily best for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to get kind of tunnel vision that time of year. Right. And, and, and get, and tend to get a bit selfish when you, you, you want to be out there. Right. And especially if you've, you know, you have a, track record of, of being out there and being at camp on opening day and things like that. But going back to one of the things you said, you know, having that support system close to home, you know, to, to give you that flexibility to allow you to, to head out on a Saturday if your wife's at work or, you know, she has other plans or something like that. And, and yeah, grandma and grandpa want to take the kids. I mean, they always seem pretty prime for that. Right. Oh yeah. You know, and part of me feels bad, right? Like I should, I should want to spend time with my kid. And it's not that I don't want to spend time with my kid. Um, it's that, you know, um, it gives me a little mental reprieve from life, you know? Um, and then also in addition to that, and maybe this is just me trying to convince myself, but like, you know, grandma, grandpa, like they, they need time with their grandson. You know, like my grandson needs time with them too. Um, And since they work, you know, Monday through Fridays, they don't always get to see him during the week. So, um, you know, especially my mom, like she can see him, you know, if she can spend, you know, six hours with him on a Saturday, uh, you know, she really enjoys it, you know, and, um, you know, I hope that, that by giving them that opportunity that, you know, you know, my son's, you know, developing a relationship with, with her and, and with my dad and, you know, where, um, he wants to spend time with family too. So like I said, maybe I'm trying to just convince myself that it's okay that I'm like leaving and going to camp for a weekend. Right. Um, but you know, I really do think that that is important too. So, um, you know, hopefully, um, like I said, hopefully someday it, it would be, I'm not going to force him, but if he wants to come hunting with me, you know, I'll take him, you know, and then he can spend Saturday with, you know, dad and, and grandpa, you know, yeah, dad well, and pap. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. I thought that we had talked about it previously that your, your, your dad hunts as well. So like, you know, being able to spend some time with grandpa, you know, while you're out hunting and, you know, he can possibly instill or pass along some of that knowledge that he passed along to you when you were a kid, you know I mean? At the age that he's at, like, it's, it's hard to know what he's really going to retain other than if we happen to swear around a kid and they repeat that, right? Like, there's, there's, there's those <laughs> Always things. the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, all the bad stuff. Yeah, which is funny because my I, I, I'm not the best at watching my language around the kids sometimes. And even just like not like cursing at them, but just like in kind of your everyday. In general, yeah. Yeah, in general. And my daughter's never once in, in six plus years repeated a word that I've said that's that's not been a good word, but my son, man, like he, he won't say anything or he won't listen. And then as soon as you drop something, he'll like turn around and like repeat it back to you. It's like, nope, nope. Didn't think you were paying attention, pal. Like we don't say that. Only dad says that. And he's not supposed to either. 
Yeah, you know, everyone everyone that knows me knows like I'm a huge uh, I'm a huge outdoorsman. Um, I don't fish. I hunt. I do a lot of you know habitat work on on our property, family property that we have, and. Yeah, so people always ask like, oh, you know, you're going to get your son to hunt. Um, I mean, yeah, if he wants to. I'd always say if he wants to. You know, yeah. if he wants to fish, we'll fish. If he wants to hunt, we'll hunt. If he just wants to hike, we'll hike. Um, if he wants to forage, that's what we're going to do. Like, my big thing is I just, I want him to appreciate being outside and want to be outside. So, um, you know, finding opportunities now right? As a one and a half year old, almost two year old, it's just finding ways to get him outside and then letting him explore a little bit, um, yeah. and explaining some stuff, you know? So like last summer, um, I took him and uh, my parents came too, you know, and, uh, we went to a national deer association, local chapter cleanup event, you know, and I, you know, I have them in like the front chest carrier and yeah. I'm bending down, picking up trash. And, um, you know, he has his Carhartt overalls on and, uh, camo hat, you know, and he's playing in the dirt when we're taking a break and stuff, you know, just like give them time to just enjoy the outdoors and hopefully, you know, Listen, do I want them to hunt? Absolutely, but just because that's something I enjoy. But we're going to do whatever he enjoys. And, um, you know, so it's more about just giving him the experience being out there now at this point in his life. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's all we can do at this, at this point, like when they're that age, is because you kind of have to just, like, plant that seed, right? And there's, you know, maybe, you know, even, you know, when they're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, maybe – they're not super interested, but, you know, maybe come those, you know, those more formidable years, they get to be a teenager and, and then it kind of, they, they can kind of glean from, you know, from, from things that they learned or things that you guys did when he was, when he was younger. And then they take up an interest, right? Like I don't, I mean, I think there's certainly people, you know, out there that they take to it at a young age and like, they just, I mean, they can't ball into it. Right. And they never look back. But I think for a lot of people, it's more of a slow burn. Right. I think that it's kind of gradual. And then once you can kind of, you kind of become more self-sustainable when it comes to, to hunting or fishing and things like that, that's when that, that real passion, the, the real obsessive nature behind it really kind of comes into play. Yeah. I mean, 100% it's just giving him experiences, right. So that he can try to enjoy in, in a lot of it, a lot of the kind of experiences I'm trying to give him, I'm drawing on things that I remember from when I was a kid, yep. you know, like the, the things that have stuck in my head, you know, 35 years later, like if it, if that memory is burned into my brain that I can still remember it now, uh, then it must've been something impactful. So, yeah. you know, like I, I remember, uh, I don't really remember it, but I remember seeing the picture. I've seen the picture so many times of like my dad's holding me and I'm, I'm sitting on the neck of a buck that he shot, um, <laughs> with my great grandfather standing, you know, next to us. My grandfather's actually taking the picture. Um, so, you know, and that was the, let's say I was born in February. So, um, you know, I was probably only seven or eight months old at that point. Um, you know, so the first year that my son was born, like I did everything I could to shoot a bucket. It just was not coming together uh, until first day of rifle season. It was almost like it was meant to be uh, just like my dad, you know, and I shot a buck. So I, we came home from camp. I told my grandfather and I told my dad, I was like, 
we're going to my in-laws house. We're taking this picture. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like uh, that's an, ex- you know, and that's a, a picture that, that he sees it's hung on the wall and, um, you know, and then like, I remember things like, you know, and granted this can't happen yet, but you know, I was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old. My dad shot the only archery deer he ever shot a, a, a four point buck. And, um, my mom and I just happened to be at camp with him that weekend. I don't even know why, but, um, he came back to camp and he said, I shot a deer. Do you want to help me track it? You know, so I'm tracking it through the snow. There's, you know, maybe two inches of snow. And, um, I didn't know at the time, but he watched it fall. Like he knew where it was, you know? Um, but me, you know, having me go out and I'm in front and I'm just like finding blood and just like, okay, next step, next step, you know, and he's trying to walk me through the process. And I, I almost tripped over that deer, <laughs> you know, cause you're so, fo- you know, at that age, I was so focused on, I have to find the next spot of blood. I never looked up, you know, and like, that's something you learn after, you know, you shoot some deer, you learn to look up. Um, I, I probably followed blood until I was about five yards away when my dad was like, are you can you look out in front? Like what's out there? And I looked yeah, up and I'm like, oh, it's right there, you know, yeah. and it was exciting for me. You know, I, I, I found the deer, right. That was yeah. as a kid, that was very exciting for me. Um, so to be able to give opportunities like that to my son, like that's what I'm looking for to try to instill that, like, Hey, maybe at least he wants to try hunting and then maybe sticks with it as much as I have, maybe more, maybe not at that point. We'll just go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. Going with the flow, right. Just, Take it as it comes. That's the best way you can do it. It's funny. <clears throat> you talk about you, you just when you were five and, and you had that experience, you know, tracking that deer, you know, with your dad that, that he had shot. Where we hunt. So it's not it's not close to, to where we live. It's uh, probably about two and a half hour drive. And we have my in-laws. It's my in-laws property. And they have a cabin that's probably I don't know, 25 minutes from the, the, the property that we hunt that they own. And usually during deer season, like if, especially if we're going to make like a weekend out of it during archery season, um, you know, we'll all go up to the, to the cabin, uh, you know, like my, my, uh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, myself, you know, my wife, my kids, probably my brother-in-law, his wife, their kids who are around the same age as mine. So it's kind of a, a big family thing. And we do that heck three, four times during the hunting season. And once rifle season comes and the weather kind of turns a little bit, we usually, it's usually kind of just the guys more or less. Um, and every deer I've shot has been when I'm up there by myself or, or I'm just with my brother-in-law, right. And, and my kids are, are, and my wife are back at home. So I think it was three years ago. Um, I made a, a very spur of the moment trip, um, left the house around noon, um, drove straight to the property and my brother-in-law was supposed to meet me there. He didn't show up. He had some work conflicts. He wasn't able to go. I ended up killing a, a real nice eight point. I mean, from the time I put my butt in the stand to the time I pulled the trigger was like 35 minutes. And it was like Jeez. this whiteout snowstorm. It was incredible. Like it was, you couldn't have like drew it up any better as far as, I mean, I knew we were supposed to get snow. And as I'm getting closer to the property, I'm like, holy cow, like there's more than a couple inches. Like there was probably, you know, five inches on the ground when I parked the truck and it was still a whiteout. It was coming down. And, you know, as I'm getting dressed the truck, I'm like, I'm, I'm probably late. There's probably already deer in the field. And this is like first week of December. So it was like, like our, our second, um, rifle season in the zone that we're in. We get like an extra 10 days, uh, more or less because we're in like, uh, 
a CWD uh, adjacent mm. county or zone. Um, so what's typically like muzzleloader and uh, muzzleloader season in our zone, we can use a rifle. So I'm going to take advantage of that if I can. Oh yeah. And it was, I was sitting on a food plot cause it was really good, you know, late season food, even, you know, despite the snow and yeah, there was two young does standing in the field when I walked up and I kind of like crouched down behind a bush and I was, I said, I'm like, I, I can't sit here, right? Like this is, I'm exposed. I'm just in the elements. So I'm like, I'm just going to have to bump these deer. So I stood up and just kind of slowly started walking and they picked their heads up and young deer, you can get away with it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they looked at me for a minute and they just kind of ran off. But yeah, it was, uh, everything was like super quick and a whole, and I don't know if we've talked about this the first time around, but this whole episode transpired after with dealing with the deer by myself was in, you know, six inches of wet, heavy snow was just a nightmare. And so what I, basically what I was trying to say is they had never seen one of the deer that I had shot. So I, the next day when I came home, instead of like going right to the processor, like I came home out of the way just so that they could see it, they could take pictures with it. We could kind of have that memory. And yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Like it's one of the pictures that I have framed. It's in my office, like with both the kids. Like I think my son at the time was gosh, just over a year old, maybe, or maybe not even a year old. So, you know, I'm like holding him and he's holding one of the, you know, the rack and my daughter's like standing in the bed of the pickup truck, like, you know, kind of holding it as well. So like, it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, I hope that they get older and they can just like you did, right? Like it's something that they can draw on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, I remember, I mean, my dad doing that, you know, every year, you know, that he would get a deer, it, it came home. Um, and I got to see it before he took it to the processor, you know, like, and I got to see my grandfathers and I got to see my uncles, you know, it was sort of like, Hey, we're going to show these deer off. And then, okay. You know, now we take them to the processor. Um, you know, I, I've been wrestling with this for years. Um, you know, and I keep saying, I don't have time to process my own deer. Um, I do, I have the time. I'm just like choosing, I'm not making time. Right. And because I'm a culinary teacher, I'm like, man, like I should really should be doing all this myself. Um, so the last couple of years I've been making, making an effort to really try to, to process at home, which makes it easier to, you know, show my son because <laughs> I'm bringing it home. The problem with that is, is that it's been so warm, um, especially yeah, during has. archery season. And it's it like, has. I don't, I don't want to hang it. Um, you know, up at camp for even 12 hours. I mean, even overnight, it seems like it's getting, it's staying too warm. So it's like, I should, what I should do to make this the best culinary fare, right? Um, this isn't the eighties anymore. This isn't the the sixties where we're throwing it on the hood of a car. Um, we know what makes venison taste bad, um, is not handling it properly. So what I should be doing is I should be quartering it up and throwing it in my Yeti cooler with some ice and, everything's ready to go. Like I should be doing that. Um, but I still have this like pull of, you know, man, I really want my son to like see the deer itself, you know, Mm -hmm. um, type thing. So, um, you know, last year I actually came home the, that day, um, this past season, I came home that day. Like I I shot a doe, um, and brought it home that day because it was like, it was going to be too warm. I don't want to hang it. I'm not going to quarter it. Um, and, uh, you know, I want him to see it. So I brought it home that day instead, which made it a lot tougher, right? Like I didn't get as much sleep, um, you know, driving, 
you know, that day instead of the next morning, you know, um, trying to race home to get home before he goes down for, to sleep and all that stuff. But, um, but you know, whenever he gets to see it, it's, you know, it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I mentioned it earlier, um, but you host the podcast conserve the wild as well as, you know, it's, it's your organization. So what has been new with conserve the wild since we last spoke? Whoa. Um, so <laughs> conserve the wild, not a whole lot has changed since we last spoke. Um, I'm still, it's funny. It, it's crazy how things work. Like I was, um, right, right at the doorstep, uh, of turning conserve the wild into a nonprofit, had the funding set up to get all that started. Um, and then the pandemic hit and all the funding got withdrawn. <laughs> so, um, and I, I haven't gotten it back yet. Um, a couple of the businesses, you know, have sort of gone away, um, from the pandemic. Um, the rest of them are still sort of like, ah, we're not quite sure where things are. Um, so from there really, you know, I, I've, um, I sort of put everything on hold for a little bit with that. Um, and, and put the blog, I, it's funny right before all that, everything with the pandemic happened, getting ready to do nonprofit. Like I was starting to do some public appearances, um, where I was like giving talks, um, at some just very local, you know, um, outdoor show type things. Um, but I put, I sort of put that on hold just with the whole pandemic and everything. Then having a kid, um, put the blog on hold, but, um, just, this year, uh, 2023, I started, started the blog back up. Um, and I've changed a little bit of the podcast. So I don't, and everything's the same. It's just now, instead of releasing every week, I'm releasing every other week just because I do not have time to put in the effort needed to release a quality episode every single Friday. Um, I need, you know, two weeks to get together, to get everything together, just because family pulls, you know, work related time commitments, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, so basically what I've been trying to do instead, um, to try to still sort of keep that content, um, flowing, um, is that, um, every, so every other Friday release a podcast, uh, episode, and then on the Fridays that I don't, um, and it hasn't been every Friday, but as many as I can, um, I'm trying to release a blog post that is tied into that most recent episode. Um, okay. That's sort of just a overview. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not. No one's going to sit down and read a transcript, right, of an interview <laughs> uh, about a topic. So it's more just you know. Uh, an overview of like, these are the things that we talked about. These are sort of the big takeaways um, type things. Um, here's where you can find more information. If you're interested, listen to the episode, you'll you'll hear a whole lot more. So um, trying to sort of tie the two together a little bit, uh, just so there's a flow uh, to the content that, that's being put out there. Are you still, I mean, I've, I've checked out obviously some episodes over the course of time. And I mean, you don't, I mean, you cover a wide variety of topics. Mm-hmm. You talk to a lot of different agencies and, 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 uh, organizations and things like that with kind of the relaunch isn't the right word, but with, with kind of shuffling things up a bit, uh, to start the year, are you still trying to keep that kind of national footprint or, or try to, you know, or are you kind of keeping it a bit more local? Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, I'd say probably about a 50, 50 mix. Yeah. Um, I, I have, um, 
So just recently, just this past year, I became a member of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association. Um, they expanded their definition of a writer to include podcasters. They're trying to update with the times, you know. Sure. So um, I became a member, and um, between that and the fact that I've been doing this podcast um, now for 150 plus episodes, um, I've developed a pretty good network of people. So. Um, uh, that that I can bring on as guests. So I, I like, it, it's funny um, when people ask, you know, especially in a podcast community, like what's your podcast about? I say conservation, like the, the name of my podcast is conservation unfiltered. Like we're talking about conservation, how I decide, you know, that everyone always talks about when you start a, a podcast, you want to keep it like real specific, the more specific you can make it, the better, um, unless you're someone like Joe Rogan, right? Like, unless if you're already a celebrity, you could talk about whatever you want. People are going to yeah. listen, but when you're not right, I'm not, no offense. You're not right. Like you no. need to have, right. <laughs> not offended by that. I'm coming on your show and saying you're not famous. Um, so, you know, like when, when you're not a famous person that already has this built in audience, you need to be specific with what you're talking about. Right. So people that are interested in that niche subject area are, you know, coming to you because they're interested in that. So at the beginning, I thought like conservation, pff, that's super niche, right? Uh, no, no, it's not there. It is so broad because it's mm -hmm. everything from, you know, grasses and invasive species of plants to uh, bees and butterflies to uh, deer and hunting and fishing. And uh, if you really want to, you know, international, I mean, it, it gets crazy. So, um, because of that network that I've built um, of people that I've had on as past guests and then people that they know and, and people I've met, um, I'm trying to keep a 50-50 mix. Um, I'm trying to be Pennsylvania specific because there's a lot of um, – Pennsylvania is a lot like Michigan. There is just a huge tradition of conservation yeah, and hunting absolutely. and fishing there. So I really want to highlight the things that are going on in my home state that I love. At the same time – Anything that interests me nationally, uh, I want to talk about it, you know? So, um, you know, when I talk about, when, when I say like sort of 50-50 mix, like I'm just thinking about the episodes just since January um, that I've released. And it's fewer now, right? Because it's every other week. But there's been uh, six episodes released that I've released. Three of them have been Pennsylvania-specific. Um one with the executive director of our game commission, one with the executive director of our fish and boat commission, and then one about Rachel Carson, uh, world renowned, you know, biologist and or, or ecologist and um, author of Silent Spring. Uh, she actually grew up right across the river from where I live now, right? So a Pennsylvania okay. person. But then at the same time, I'm also talking about things like, um, you know, uh, pheasants that live in downtown Detroit. <laughs> um, talking about sagebrush habitat with Whit Fosberg of, of TRCP, you know, so, um, you know, and then um, also um, sort of a, a primer of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. They brought that back. Um, it's on the RFD channel now. So um, we did a, we did an episode sort of highlighting the fact that, you know, this 
show that's been on for decades um, that I grew up watching is now coming back again, you know? And um, so, you know, nationally, you know, talking about Pennsylvania stuff, um, you know, like I said, if it interests me and it has, and I can even remotely relate it to, you know, conservation, then, um, then I'm going to see if I can find someone to talk to about it on my show. Yeah. You know, I'm often, I'm curious and, and you probably have a bit more insight because, you know, you're publishing your podcast and, and you have the platform that's all, you know, yours, that's all kind of self-sustained within yourself with, you know, the average conservationist podcast hits on a network of podcasts. So, you know, when I get my episode ready, I send it off, they get it published, you know, I do the write up and the editing and all that good stuff. But, you know, once I send it off to them, like, I don't, I don't see, you know, like weekly numbers and I could probably ask for them, but it's, it's, it can be a bit cumbersome and, you know, I don't, you don't need to tell me how every episode does, right? Like I, I get, you know, I think probably like a, a mid-year check-in with, hey, here's where downloads are at. And then like an end of the year type report when we have a big like network meeting and whatnot. Do you notice, I guess, more or less downloads or, or you know, higher, you know, more people are tuning in if it's something local as opposed to national or have you gotten to the point where like you kind of have a pretty good built-in audience and kind of regardless of, you know, the guests, uh, whether it's local, whether it's national, that that people are still kind of tuning in. Um, so I definitely have a built-in audience, right? Like I have yeah. people that it doesn't matter Same. what I talk about; they're they're going to listen every week uh, or every week, every episode. They're going to listen to it. Um, I mean, I have it up here on my my second screen here, so I'm looking at it. Um, I would say. I would say honestly, local stuff seems to be um, not local, but I mean like state specific stuff. Yeah, um, actually seems to be a little bit down compared to the national stuff, and I think that's just because there are. While I have a lot, the vast majority of my listenership is it is based in Pennsylvania, but I there's quite a few, quite a few people that that listen to the show that are in other states. Um, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes they, I think my listeners really like whenever I talk about something and that has been talked about, but try to talk about it in a, a little bit of a unique way. Right. Yeah. So like we, if you've paid attention to any conservation stuff at all for the past 10 years, you've heard about sagebrush and, you know, that we need to conserve it, but why? Right. And what's being done? Right to in order to do that, um, you know, and being able to talk to someone like Whit Fosberg, who has his has his finger on the pulse about something yeah. like that, um, you know, and, and talked about you know how there's like you know private partnerships between oil and gas and ranchers and conservationists all working together together to conserve sagebrush. Um, when you can put it to, like that, because. When it comes to, when it comes to conservation, every a lot of people sort of look at it like this black and white deal, right? Like you, okay, we need to conserve sagebrush. That means no oil and gas. That means no development. Um, and then you have someone like Wit that comes along and says, "Hey, look at this private partnership where you have oil companies, developers, ranchers, and conservationists all working together to say, hey, it's okay to drill a well. It's okay to build a housing plan. Um, it's okay to graze your cattle.'" But let's be, let's think about where we want to do it, right? Like, where is the optimal place that we can do these things that's going to have the smallest impact on sagebrush? Being deliberate. And then, 
Yeah, so it's it's this gray area in between where it's like we can still do some of these development things. Yeah. We just need to be smart in how we go about it. Um, and they, it's had a tremendous amount of success, you know. Um, so, you know, and it makes sense. You know, I, I'm go back going with this episode because it, a lot of it really encapsulates the kind of stuff that I like to put on my show. It makes sense once you hear someone break it down. Why would oil and gas care about conserving sagebrush habitat? Well, because there's a species of bird, right, That's a just happens to be a game bird, which is why a lot of hunters are also interested in it, um, that live in sagebrush habitat. And it is not yet on the threat. It, it's, it's sort of like in this limbo of like threatened and not threatened. Um, and, you know, if we kept going in this destruction of sagebrush habitat, habitat it's going to end up becoming endangered. Well, if it right. becomes endangered, guess what happens with those oil and gas companies or those housing developments? They can't be built. So, hey, if we put some money and some effort towards, you know, keeping their numbers at least stable, then we can still do our thing and make our money as a company, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like really wading into those sort of gray areas with conservation. And because of that, I think it takes me nationally. And like I said, no, the, I will say numbers wise, the only thing that I see when my numbers take a pretty big dip is if I go international. Yeah. Um, I've talked about elephants. I've talked about um, uh, international conservation issues and, and uh, travel to do that. Um and I see a pretty, I see a pretty big dip. Unfortunately, um, people like to, people like to hear what's happening in their backyard, you know, yeah. not necessarily a, across the ocean. Yeah. I think when you get international, you know, obviously here we have our model of conservation that's been around for generations and we're very used to it. We understand it. We, for the most part, you know, if, if you're in the hunting community and the fishing community, uh, even if you just you know, have a, a general understanding, you know how it works and, you know, the funding mechanisms and, and those types of things. When you go abroad, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? Because just, you know, general regulations are completely different, um, you know, and then obviously you, you wade into certain parts of, of the world and, you know, there's big, you know, there's trophy hunting and, you know, that's has, you know, for a long time had a, a very negative connotation to it. And, you know, I think that there's there's two sides to every story, and you know, the I guess the the other side is has started to uh, become a bit more publicized uh, in recent years. But yeah, that's um, I think that guys like you and I who don't have this, we don't have this built-in audience like you talked about. I think that that's one. I think we can get away with a little bit more when it comes to like asking questions because we don't have to worry about upsetting a or b you know when it comes to maybe um you know partners or affiliations or things like that so we can we can get into that gray area like you talked about right we don't have to ask pc questions to get pc answers right because they've you know if, if you have a guy like wit on who, who i've had on this podcast before as well you know you can you can ask him some things you can you know wade into the deep end a little bit, I guess, um, and not have to worry about repercussions. And I think that, you know, with, and I don't want to keep kind of singling wit out here, but, you know, people like that who, who have a, a really big platform, um, they get used to kind of giving, again, those PC answers, right? And I think 
they enjoy being able to get into the weeds and the nuance of things and, and how those relationships works with, with, you know, developers and conservationists and, and things like that in order to, you know, um, kind of further the mission of, you know, groups like TRCP, uh, and, you know, making sure sagebrush and, and things like that, the, the habitats are stable, like you said, because, you know, with, you take someone like a, like a development company and, that they are, they're going to have their like risk analysis, right? Like what happens if we keep doing this, you know, where could potential blowback or pushback be? And is it, you know, hunters, is it conservationists, is it state game, you know, agencies and things like that, because certain populations are taking a dip and, you know, kind of good on them to, to have that foresight to look and say, yeah, you know, this is the type of property where we're continually developing on, these are some effects. I mean, because I'm sure that they have people on the payroll who are doing that work, right? They're they're doing their investigative work to say, like, okay, what are the ramifications of this? And they're they're getting out ahead of things, I guess, is kind of a good way to put it. And, yeah, I think that that's because there, there, there's going to be development irregardless, right? And for them to do their part um, as much as possible to try to maintain, you know, certain populations and, and certain habitats, I mean, yeah, good on them. Yeah, you know, you mentioned asking the the non PC questions, and I, I have to say, and this is why I like listening to your show, and this is why I think I think people like to listen to my show. I want to ask the hard questions, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be the gotcha guy. Yeah, right. Like uh, that's not my purpose. My purpose isn't trying to make you slip up or try to get you to say something that's going to go viral. Um, <laughs> I've been advised, you know, like, hey, that's how you get more people to listen to your show. Be controversial. Um, that I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm covering controversial subjects, but I'm not. I don't want to be controversial. One that would not go over well with my day job as a high school teacher, right? <laughs> um, but but two, I don't. I want to be respected, right? And I feel like um, you. When I started this whole show, it was all about like. I, I always said, and I'll continue to say now, I'm not the expert. I weighed in the conservation a lot. I follow it very closely. Um, you know, I, I've made it, you know, a very important hobby in my life. But I'm still not an expert. I'm not a wildlife biologist. I'm not, uh, you know, the executive director of a state agency. So I'm bringing the experts on. Well, the way to, to continue to get these experts to come on is by not embarrassing them. Right. Um, I've had episodes that I've recorded that I have never released and I will never release. Um, because maybe I've had, you know, they've said some things that they're not supposed to say because they weren't allowed to say it yet. Right. Um, and then they asked me to take that out. When I take it out, the episode, it's sort of the whole episode sort of turned on something that they said, you know, that I can't take out and still have a good episode. Or, um, you know, I could think of one episode. I, I, I loved the whole concept. I worked for months on this whole concept to get three different people on and do this sort of round table um, about a specific topic. And um, unfortunately, one of the guests just was, he was just not very nice to the other, the other two guests. Like he demeaned them. um, Different viewpoints. Yeah. I was trying to bring differing viewpoints together, but like there's a way to do that professionally. And he wasn't. And I tried everything I could to like edit out all the like really rough things that he said that I just, it, I couldn't make the episode flow. So it's like, you know what? 
I'm not putting that out there. Like I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass someone else by putting, you know, this out there on the internet for the world to see. Um, not that the whole world listens to my show, right? Like my numbers aren't that good, but like, even if it's just one person listening, like I don't, that that's not my purpose. I'm not trying to be a gotcha person. I, I want to get the best information possible, but I want to do it in a way that the person I'm talking to is like, Hey, I want to come back on the show, you yeah. know? Um, not, you know, like, Oh, I never want to do that again. Like you're a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. The, the gotcha thing. Yeah. I, I certainly subscribe to that same train of thought. I'm not trying to, yeah, put someone in a spot to make them answer a question that they're not prepared to answer. Right. Because that's when, yeah, that's when you say something that you haven't had a chance to really think out. Right. And that's, and I mean, that, that's just, I don't know. I don't want to gain something by hurting someone else or exactly. by demeaning someone else or something that they say and exploiting that because that's, I mean, I, I mean, I guess maybe that's just the type of person I am, right? Like I don't really want to get into, into that kind of field of play. I would much rather just, and, and I've had a lot of kind of back and forth with people pri- prior to, to, to actually recording. It's like, Hey, like I'm not gonna, I, I, this isn't like gotcha. Cause they'll be like, Oh, like, can you send me an itinerary of what we're going to talk about? And when I first started, like, yeah, I would, I would really map out what I wanted to talk about and, and to really try to get the, the episode and the conversation to flow a certain way. And, and, and you know, as well as I do, like the more you do it, the more you can just do that naturally, right? You can ask good mm-hmm. follow-up questions. You can go from one topic to the next. And next thing you know, it's an hour and you're like, oh man, that was, that was super easy. And that's really how I, I try to navigate things. But people will just, they, they almost have to know like every question that you're going to ask, every topic that you want to talk about. And if you kind of deviate from that, they get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I, I don't want to make it seem like an interview. I want to make it seem like a conversation. And yeah, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, but it's going to be very conversational, not, you know, okay, so Mr. Crichton, tell me about this. Tell me about, you know, like that, that's yeah. just, and I think for guys like you and I who, Again, our, we're, we're not celebrities. We've established that. <laughs> um, that's what people like to hear. I think the, the relatability that you and I have with, with our guests, with, with our listeners, um, I think that that's, that's why I think people continue to tune, tune in week after week is because we're just we're average people. And, and that's, you know, people want to hear those conversations with guys like us. Like if you were, you know, sitting at camp, if you were, you know, having a beer on the back porch or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is we're coming at it and, and asking questions that are the same kind of questions that those people are going to ask. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, you know, that like sort of gotcha deal, you know, the first time I really noticed it, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, you can only hunt on three Sundays a year still. Uh, but when the original bill to give us those, those, what ended up being those three Sundays when it was going through the state legislature. Um, I went with my co-host at the time to um, state senator's uh, office in Erie and we interviewed him and, you know, his press person sat in on the interview. I had to put like all the, like write up all the questions, you know, and they really didn't want me to deviate from that. Um, which, but it was funny because I don't know, maybe halfway into the conversation, like, the press person picked up her phone, started, I don't know, scrolling social media, whatever. I don't know, like stop paying attention. 
you know, the Senator relaxed and, and started joking with us a little bit about some things. And I, I think he realized like, I'm not here to be the, I'm, I'm not TMZ. That, right. That's not my purpose, you know? And <laughs> right. it, it's a fine line, right. Um, to ask the hard questions, you know, that people want answers to, but not do it in a demeaning way. Um, yeah. and to make your guests feel comfortable. And last year, uh, I got some confirmation that I I've been doing it. I've, I've been walking that, that line, the way I need to, um, you know, last year I, I, I partnered with the Keystone Elk Country Alliance and, uh, went to their Elk Expo and, you know, Brian Burhans, who's the executive director of, of our game commission came up and he's joking with me about stuff. Like I've talked to him now probably about five or six times. And like, every time I talk to him, it's like, we've been friends forever. It's, it's yeah. wild. Um, so obviously like he likes me in some capacity. He respects what I do. He realizes I'm not trying to like get him on stuff, right? Like he's joking with me, but then, you know, he leaves. And then all of a sudden, like some guys come up from, <laughs> from a, a sort of local club, um, from the state that really has some very strong opinions about the game commission. And they're joking with me about the game commission, you know? And it's like, I have I'm, both sides are talking to me about stuff and like, yeah, like I'm like, I'm an old friend. So I'm apparently walking the line just right to be able to, you know, say like, yeah, you know, people from the game commission, they like what I do. You know, I don't like everything the game commission does, right? Like every rule they make, no one does, right? Like they're not making the rules for me. You know, they're making them for the, you know, every hunter in the state, almost a million of us. Um, But at the same time, like I can also recognize that, some of the good things that they've done, even if it hasn't benefited me, I can recognize why they're making that decision. So, you know, it's like being able to play both sides. Like I'm not doing it maliciously, but I'm trying to, you know, because you need that relationship with both kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be able to offer your listeners a viewpoint from both sides, depending on the topic, right? You know, you need to, yeah, you need to have everyone, have their voice heard. And I think that that's, that's another thing that people respect, right? Is, and I mean, Rogan's a whole, a whole different ball of wax, but I mean, that's, he gets all sorts of people on his podcast have all sorts of different viewpoints on, you know, a hundred different topics. And I think that that's why people like to listen to it. Cause yeah, you're going to get guests on there that you know, 95% of society, whatever the topic is that that guest wants to talk about, agree with, then he's going to get that person on who really speaks to that 5%. Right. And that's, you know, it's, I think everyone kind of deserves, deserves their time to tell their story. So no, um, tell me more about, uh, the Keystone Elk Country Alliance. Cause I know you mentioned that, uh, you've recently partnered with them. Yeah. So they, I've, I, um, during the pandemic, um, they, they did this before the pandemic, but they really like solidified what they do. Um, they are sort of the local statewide, um, organization that really um, does a lot of great work for the elk herd here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, the, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has chapters in Pennsylvania and they do a lot of great work, but the Keystone Elk Country Alliance, um, it was developed really to push that mission like hard, right? Like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, that's a national deal. They're, right. they're going to be very concerned with elk out West and in the Southwest and, and uh, Kentucky and Virginia now, places like that. Um, along with Pennsylvania, but they're, 
the people that started Kika uh, really recognize the fact that like to really benefit elk in Pennsylvania, we need our own just individual running organization. And um, during the pandemic, one of the things that they had been doing that really took off were virtual field trips uh, where they, uh, they would send a trunk <laughs> of, uh, you know, an elk hide, an elk antler, um, you know, some examples of what elk eat, things like that to a school. And then they would have someone, you know, virtually talk about all these things and pull stuff out of the trunk that they had. And the kids get to touch, you know, the, the elk hide and they get to touch the elk antler and they get to learn about elk. Um, and so during the pandemic, we, my job, I had, uh, Fridays I had to work, but we didn't have kids. Uh, we sort of had this hybrid schedule. So, uh, it gave us time as teachers to sort of plan because we were teaching both kids in the classroom and remotely, you know, so like it gave us time to plan and figure out how we were going to do these lessons. Um, since I had already been sort of doing that, um, sort of stuff, um, having a lot of my assignments on online and stuff, I decided, uh, I, was allowed to take a day and, and go to Benazette, Pennsylvania, which is where the visitor center is located, um, and talk to them. And then while I was there, after the workday was over, I recorded a, a podcast about, you know, the education that they do and the conservation and everything. Last year, um, they reached back out to me. And uh, so every year they have what they call the Elk Expo. It's basically this big celebration. Uh, that's a weekend every year at the visitor center. They have vendors, food, um, you know, crafts, um, elk outfitters are there um, on the Saturday of the Elk Expo. The game commission pulls all the, um, all the tags for the elk season that we have. And then on Sunday, they do this big celebration of uh, the Kika tag, which is, you know, it's, a, it's their own raffle. Um, and it comes with a, uh, a guide. It comes with taxidermy. It comes with processing, like for 20 bucks, you get a ticket and like, it's the whole experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously a big deal. And that, that's sort of the big stuff. Um, but they, they were looking, they've been doing it for 20 years. They were looking to, expand their reach. So they, since I had talked to some of them, they decided, you know, previously that, um, Hey, maybe we could do some podcasts around it. So it was sort of thrown together. It was a little late. <laughs> um, at the time it was in, uh, August, I think, uh, second week, of, second or third week of August that they had the elk expo last year. And they contacted me in like late June. So it was like, Whoa, okay, what are we going to do? Um, so I did ended up doing five episodes um, around the event, had a booth there talking to people, seeing what the event was like. I'd never been there. Um, I'd heard about it and wanted to go, but just it never really worked out timing wise to be able to go. And it was a great time. Uh, so this year uh, with their new marketing person, we started talking already about what we're going to do and, and decided they wanted to keep doing the partnership. Um so the big thing, um, there, there's two big things for this year is, uh, they're moving up the elk expo this year. Uh, and that's because, uh, we have, uh, Pennsylvania's instituted an archery season for elk uh, okay. a couple years ago, uh, one, three or maybe four years ago. The problem is the problem was that they were pulling the tags in like the middle of August. And then the season opened up like three weeks later for archery season. So like it's not much time to prepare. No, no. So <laughs> like, you know, you can do all kinds of scouting if you want. Um, but then you don't get the tag 
or you don't do any scouting and then you get the tag pulled and now you're like you have three weeks to get ready to go right so they moved that tag pull up um, a couple weeks to give some people a little more time. So the Elk Expo has been moved up. So this year it's July 29th and 30th. So it's the last weekend in July. Um, so that's the first big thing is it's earlier this year. Um, and then from my perspective, the, the big thing for me, so we will be, um, the week be two weeks before, uh, the, Elk Expo, I'll be releasing a podcast talking with Kika employees about who's going to be there. They put on seminars, um, you know, why people should come, uh, where people can stay. Uh, they do shuttles and all this stuff. So like how to go about all that stuff. And then the big thing for me, which whew, this is scary. I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud, um, outside of just, you know, talking with the, with the Kika people. Um, I'm going to do a marathon live podcast on Saturday, July 29th. Um, so we're going to have, I have a tentative schedule sort of mapped out where we're going to have, um, basically eight hours of podcast straight, um, that will be live on YouTube, live on Facebook, um, where we're going to have guests come in pretty much every hour and we're going to be talking about stuff. Now we're still trying to figure out exactly, um, who's going to come when, um, and who's going to be there for different things. But, um, so we're a couple of things that I can mention we're going to have for sure, um, is last year's winner for the Kika tag was a guy by the name of Roy Moon, who actually lives like 10 minutes from me. <laughs> um, but he's going to come on, uh, at 10 o'clock. So it's going to start at nine. Um, we're going to talk with some entertainment people tentatively, but he's going to come on at nine o'clock and then, or I'm sorry, at 10 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a um, gentleman from the Trophy Rack Lodge, who's an outfitter, elk outfitter in Pennsylvania. Um, he's going to come on. He's actually the Kika Tag outfitter. So if you win the Kika Tag, you get to go with him okay. uh, for, for your hunts. And... Um, so we'll have him on to talk about, you know, how to find an outfitter, what you should be looking for in an outfitter, um, what's all involved with the Kika tag. Um, Hunt Chef is going to be putting on some seminars for Kika. So he, uh, Jeremy Critchfield is the chef that, that um, has started Hunt Chef. He's going to come on uh, in the afternoon and talk about uh, processing and his brand Um you know, and, uh, how to get the most out of your food. And as a culinary teacher, that's, you know, right up my alley. Uh, and then we're going to have last year, we had Jeremy Banfield on and, uh, we're probably going to have him back again for that live one. So he's our elk biologist for the state. So he'll come on to talk about, um, updates and, and things with elk. And then, uh, Sunday, we're going to release an episode with, uh, Raleigh Kogan, who's the CEO of Kika and hopefully, uh, at least one board member as well, just to get some updates from Kika. But, um, that won't be a live episode. It, it's that live thing where I, it's going to be me and, um, two other people, uh, sort of intermixing in there, asking some questions for eight hours plus as People are walking around the expo, <laughs> you know, um, so it's going to be interesting. I've, I've never done that before. Oh, kudos to you for even like signing up for something like that, because like think about go back to when you first started the podcast, right? And you feel comfortable talking about the outdoors and, and conservation, right? But then, you know, you get certain guests on, and you, you know, 
pucker up a little bit. You know, you want to make sure you put your best foot forward. You don't want to stumble. Like you want to sound as professional as possible. You want to sound like you know what the hell you're talking about, right? Like we've, I think anyone who's done a podcast has been there before. And yep. again, like the more you do it, the more you get comfortable and you're just like, ah, they're just another person just like me. If I trip over a word or if I, you know, say a word that's not actually a word, like they're not going to catch it. Like, you know, those types of things. Um, but when you're doing that, you're like, okay, I, for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever, like I've got to be on to be on for eight hours. That's a long time, man. Like even with, like even people who have day jobs who work, you know, eight to five, like you're not on that entire time. Like you're, you know, you're taking breaks, you're, you know, you're, you're chop, chopping it up with other people in the office or whatever the case is. So yeah, to be ready to go like, and then change topics. You know, I mean, I, I realize it's all centered around elk and, and things like that, but you know, different guests, you know, whether it's culinary, whether it's, you know, the executive director, whether it's an outfitter, I mean, thankfully it's an interesting topic, right? To keep yeah. You- I, I, yeah. I mean, yes, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I've cheated a little bit here. Um, I brought in some people to help me. <laughs> my That's original, no. yeah, my original co-host is, uh, I've, uh, conned him into coming and helping out, giving me a break, um, here or there if I need it. Um, but the other thing is, don't forget, I'm a teacher. Um, I teach this year, I've, I teach seven of eight periods. Um, and I have five different preps or five different classes that I teach. So that's, you know, I teach child development. I teach financial management. I teach careers. I teach, uh, culinary classes. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%, but they're all different, right? So like I'm changing topics throughout the day and I'm used to starting at seven 30 and with, with one break, right. For lunch, um, you know, going until three 30. So this isn't going to be a whole lot different than my normal day. Um, the thing that's really getting me to pucker up, you, you mentioned, you know, you get your first, like what you think, like big guest, right? For me, that was Lindsay Thomas Jr. And that was pretty, I think it was like episode seven. That was super early. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, um, but like you said, you, you figure out like, they're just like you, you know, they, they talk the same and, and they're just as nervous as you are. And now it's at a point where both of us, we've done this enough that our guests are going to be more nervous than we are um, when it comes to it. But now all of a sudden, the thing that's getting me apart is the fact that it's live, that like, I feel like I'm not a huge techie person, um, but I know enough about tech to be able to do a podcast, right? Like I, I've done it enough now. Like I know how to fix little things that need you to troubleshoot. Be fixed. Yeah. yeah, I can troubleshoot. I've never done live before. Right. So like, I'm trying to reach out to these other people, like who's done a live podcast. Uh, okay. What do I do? Like I'm, I've have spent the last like three weeks, like researching every spare minute I have, like on what I need to do. Like I need an encoder. I need software. I need like, what is good? <laughs> like, okay. What does that even mean? I don't know. Um, so I have until July to figure it out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's the part that's keeping me up at night now is like, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, crap, what, what happens if this happens? Or what do I do if this happens? Or like, what does this mean? Which, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'll say that. It's exciting though. But I know some guys who do uh, a weekly podcast. Uh, you've probably heard of them. Okay. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that, uh, they do like all their shows. They do them on Tuesday. I'm pretty sure that those are all live. So that may be uh, Eric Clark, the host, one of the hosts there. 
kind of the the man behind uh, OK Hunter, the brand in general. Uh, pretty savvy when it comes to to that sort of stuff. So maybe I'll put you in contact with him. He can answer some questions for you. Yeah, we I talked to him a couple months okay. ago. We we were we were talking about trying to get him on my show, and um, timing didn't work out. So um, we were going to push it later. But um, I didn't realize his shows were live. I'm going to have to. To, to talk to him again. Yeah. It's just fear of the unknown. Right. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, but the whole reason why we're doing this, um, and it was my idea. It's right. Like I'm complaining, like say, saying, like, I'm, great, I'm, man. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, I'm worried <laughs> about like everything that could go wrong, but meanwhile, I'm the one that was like, Hey, let's do live. Um, the reason why I think this could be good is that, you know, um, for people that can't make it, to still get the experience and the information, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're not going to be walking around. It's going to be a static shot of, you know, three or four people sitting at a table, uh, talking about stuff. But, you know, like Jeremy Critchfield's going to be doing, I guarantee I I've watched his videos. Um, I've read his articles. I've been on his site. Like he knows his stuff when it comes to culinary and processing cuts and, and cooking venison, he knows his stuff. So he's going to put on some great seminars. If you can't be there, at least you get to hear him talk about it, you know, and, and get to hear some of the stuff that some of his knowledge and, and sharing his information. Um, you know, so even if you can't be there, you still get to experience it. I think that's super valuable uh, for for people out there, you know. And then in the coming weeks, you know, after, you know, yeah, it's going to be live. But I'm going to put all these, uh, all those sort of like different topics out there as, um, as their own episodes as well. Um, you know, so that people can, you know, that maybe, you know, you have your kid's soccer game you know, at 11 o'clock. So you didn't get a chance to, to hear yeah. Larry from, you know, the outfit trophy rack lodge, um, you know, talk about finding an outfitter, but you really wanted to know more about that. So, okay, I'm going to put it out there so people can still listen to it, you know, and we're talking about numbers before I'm not expecting those episodes to get great numbers. When I put them out after I'm doing it more as just like a, Hey, if you didn't get to hear a section of, of the live and you want to experience it, great. You know, yeah. like these are extra episodes on top of what I would normally be putting out. Yeah. Or someone wants to go back and kind of re-listen to um, one of the topics, you know, even if they listen to it live, right? If there was, you know, you just, it's like anything, if you know, if you're riding in the car, listening to it yep. or something like that, like you're retaining it, but you're not, you know, there may be something, uh, you know, a little nugget. You're like, man, I, I need to go back and listen to that when I, I can pay a bit closer attention and really absorb that information. So no, that that's super cool, man. I wish you the best of luck because... While I do think after after you pointed it out, you are prepared for it from the uh, the topic, the being able to be on like that. That's a good thing. I, I didn't even take into account like being a teacher that that kind of plays like that's that plays into your hands. The tech side, yeah. What happens? What happens if something goes down, man? Then all of a sudden, it's going to be all hell's going to break loose. And yeah, Jason's going to be over there just scrambling, going, "What do I do? How do I, yeah. how do I get our feedback? What's going on here?" Yeah, you know, and as much as I say, like, I'm prepared, I teach, you know, seven, seven hours a day, um, you know, that's still like, when I screw up in class, and, and listen, I, I'm a person, teachers aren't perfect, right? So, I screw up, I say something I'm not supposed to, not that I'm not supposed to, but like, two plus two equals five type thing, right? Yeah, um, right, right. You know, that's in front of 25 kids. Yeah. I screw up on this live one, like, I don't want to, like, 
at knock on wood here, right? But like it's that could be in front of five. hundreds or thousands of people, yeah. right? Like Kika's going to help host this like online because um, that's the target demographic we're going for. Like you, <laughs> that's that's a that's a big mess up, right? That's yeah. in front of a lot of people. Like no one's there's not a live stream of my classroom, so. Um, <laughs> You know, there's the, as much as I feel like I, I'm as prepared as I could be from that aspect of just being on and being, you know, a podcast host personality. Um, it's still it's still intimidating, you know, because there's still the, anything can go wrong, man. It's yeah. just live is can, way different. Will. Yes. Yes. All right, Jason, I'm going to let you get out of here, man. Get back to your day. But uh, it was great catching up. I appreciate the time. Um, I'm definitely excited to maybe we'll get you back on here after the marathon podcast. We can kind of recap that, talk about how the weekend went, some of the takeaways from that. And yeah, really dissect your performance, uh, of eight hours of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's, uh, some good news to share then not like, well, it didn't happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the Wi-Fi yeah. went out. <laughs> Our two to six, the power, yeah, the internet went out or something <laughs> happened. Like people were just staring at a blank screen on Facebook or, or YouTube. So no, yeah. I, I, I'm sure it's going to go well, and I'm sure that uh, that it'll be a huge success. So, well, I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me on today. I, I love catching up with you, man. And um, we, we got to have you have you out here in Pennsylvania to chase the exact same kind of deer that you chase out there, um, yep. just in a different part of the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jason, take care of yourself, man. We'll talk again soon. All right. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you again to Jason for joining me today and, and taking some time to catch up with uh, with me. I'd like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, and of course, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media, where it's going to be only positive conservation driven content that you're going to see there on a daily basis. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. Stick around. Uh, as I've said before, we've got some some great episodes uh, coming, coming down the way here and uh, ones that I think you're certainly going to enjoy. So until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you. Oh,